0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Autism Stories, where we connect you with amazing people that help autistic adults and teens become more successful. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. There is a narrative out in society that autistic people can't have successful romantic relationships and that they can't get married, and that simply is not true. However, when Autistic people do decide to get married, their wedding day can be an overwhelming and unpleasant experience. On this episode of Autism Stories, Becca Lori Hector returns to share how Compromise made her wedding day and can make the wedding day of many other autistic people a day they will finally remember for the rest of their lives. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Becca, thanks so much for returning to Autism Stories. i oh, it's a pleasure to be back.
1: the other interview, was one of my favorites when I've ever gotten to ask some really
0: good questions. So I wanted to bring you back because there's been so many valuable things for the autism community you've been doing even since uh, we had our first conversation. So one of those things... Mm-hmm. Is the video v- vlog that you created, Neurodiversity Newsstand, that I'm a weekly viewer of? Can you tell our listeners what they can expect when uh, watching this? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, first, thank you for watching. I appreciate it. It's still a very tiny channel, so any support matters to me right now. Um, but yeah, I we have I have some groups on Facebook, one on Facebook, one on LinkedIn. That um, I started it was originally only on Facebook, and we had started as a book discussion group. Uh, so kind of back when uh, neurotronics was on the top of the list, and we were talking about uh, Barry's book, and we were talking about you know you know we had a lot of books kind of come and be on the top of the list, and right about then we decided to start a book club, um, so that I could discuss. All of those things, and some of them were kind of volatile in there, um, but discussed them freely and openly in a safe environment with other people who were like mine. Super simple idea that I wanted to do. Um, Well, we started with the book, but what we started to see was that in between talking about the book, we'd be sharing articles and that kind of thing. Um, And so I kind of just decided to follow what the group wanted it to be and make it into a news group. And we didn't really have anything, I didn't think. Um, And on LinkedIn, the articles are slightly different. You know, on Facebook, it's uh, social stuff that we talk about and kind of general purpose stuff. On LinkedIn, there's much more about employment uh, and discussions about business and things like that. Um, and still, there's are diversity conversations around that. So I started at the second group uh, on LinkedIn. And so we've kind of been building on both those platforms, and then uh, I came to realize that... Not everyone reads as fast as I do. Not everyone wants to read all the stuff that I read. Um, and not everyone's a news junkie, but they do want to stay up, you know, they want to be up to speed on what's going on in the community. And I thought, well, if I could do a little, like, summary news wrap-up show, like somewhere between 2020 and, like, The Daily Show, that would be a really fun little 20-minute end-of-the-week thing for folks that either are audio processors or visual processors um, or just didn't have the time to read that week. Um, and
0: that's why I created a university newsstand for Paul. And since I um, asked you to return to Autism Stories, you've uh, started a new project that I was uh, very excited um, to receive the e- email. You started a newsletter, Becca's Monthly um, Musings. Yes. Well, um, so I'm, I'm
1: constantly looking for different mediums to connect with people. Right, I know everybody's brain works differently, and everybody likes to intake their information in different ways and platforms. Um, and some people like it in all the different ways, right? Mm-hmm. I'm always into trying new things and new ways to connect with folks that are interested in the stuff that I talk about. So um, that's what I decided to do. I said, Look, I can get people to sign up. I can once a month kind of put together a themed newsletter, um, and that's what I've done. So it's sort of the basis of it. I've only sent out one so far. Um, You've only missed if you haven't signed up yet, but um, I'm going to be putting a theme on each month newsletter. Um, this March, our first one was trying something new, um, and it was all it was just theme built on that. So for the newsletter it was for me trying something new, and I sent some articles, and I sent you know better to tips and how to try something new, you know tips for that, and so it's just a cute little. You know, put together just if you haven't thought about trying something new or if that's something that's hard for you, here's something to kind of get you started off of that. Um, and each month I'm just going to pick a new theme and put together a collection of different resources for that theme. Um, and so I hope people, more people sign up. It's just another way for me to connect um, with folks without having to leave my house. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, something else that I really liked involving you was an article on the autistic Bride website about your and your husband's wedding now okay. now, my wedding I love, but looking back on it, it was a it was if it was a bit simpler it would a process leading up to the the wedding day. I read that your wedding didn't have the usual pomp and pageantry of most weddings, so what went into? The, that process and making that decision?
1: Um, well, I think a bunch of things. Probably most of all is that I don't have a lot of songs and passion traits, <laughs> so I wouldn't be that kind of person. So that's probably the first thing. i already sort of moved into a phase in my life where I'm trying to live without the mask as much as possible, where I'm trying to live authentic and true to myself. Um, and that was the first thing I needed to recognize was that, Even though I had a picture of what a bride looks like in my head, um, I could never picture my feet being on that bride. Um, It was nothing that I ever really wanted to do, nothing that I was interested in. And frankly, since I've been, you know, really paying attention to my own personal needs and my diagnosis, I don't have the sensory bill to wear any of those kind of clothes. It would drive me crazy and I wouldn't be having any fun. Um, and so that's sort of what I imagined a wedding would be for me. It would be um, a lot of sensory overload. It would be a lot of socializing that I didn't want to do. I would be uncomfortable the whole time, tired and overwhelmed, and really not having any fun at all. Um, and that didn't feel in alignment with my relationship with my husband, my now husband Right? It just didn't work with how we live. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I was, you know, really being true to my purpose and you know, like, we really try to stay on that trail. And so I, we kind of had to start to begin that compromise. Um, and the compromise began when I were both from New York. Where we were born and raised there. Any family, I don't have much family, um, but my husband's family is all still in New York. And so we had made, we had moved to Colorado. Um, and we, you know, kind of wanted to get married in Colorado, but everyone was in New York. And so we started, you know, that's where the conversation began, within those logistical places, Right. Um, and as we talked it out, you know, it was like, you know, we started to talk about all of the, the pieces and it just was uh, overwhelming and complicated and not something either of us was interested in. Um, so, you know, sometimes you see a husband and a wife and the husband just checked out of wedding planning he's not interested and in the wife can do the whole thing and that's fine with her because that's what they want, right? But both of us had checked out from any kind of wedding planning. Neither of us wanted anything to do with that kind of event, Right. and see what was important to us, like the thing that was important to me was the date. Uh, I really was really keen on the specific date that I wanted to have um, and things like that. So we, we tried to pay more attention to what we wanted. Um, and the closer we were getting, the more complicated it was getting. And I'm a very frugal, business-minded person, and, and that piece was hard too to to just be um, tossing money to something that wasn't going to... Struggling with that piece of it. Um, and so we just decided no. You know, why? Why? Do, you know, for who are, for whom were we doing all of that if we were doing it? And mm-hmm. if it wasn't for the two of us, why? And then we started to look at alternatives.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, before we, we talk about your wedding day, I always like to know about the origins of things. So, how did you and your husband initially meet?
1: Um, well, we met online, actually, we met on Facebook. Um, I, at the time I was working for a non out in Long Island, an autism non-profit, we had our November fundraiser, um, and I had, um, asked my tattoo artist at uh, my regular tattoo shop if they would hand paint some bowling balls to donate to the fundraiser, right, to be a raffle item. And they had, and they got raffles off, and, it, you know, so, as one does in social media, I took a picture with the balls and, you know, posted it and thanked them and all of that stuff, um, and Antonio liked the picture, and it was just so strange to me, like, here's somebody I don't know from community, here's somebody who is, like, close to my age and looks relatively quote-unquote normal, right? Um, and, you know, why is he interested in an you know, autistic adult woman? There is no way that, at that point, it was all over my profile, all over, you know, I was. For our date on my mother's birthday, and it was only just a year since she had passed, so it was a really important date, and it felt like the universe was talking loudly to me. Um, So I said yes, and I went. We went on our first date, and you know, it was all history after
0: that. And and how do you think, um, if at all, being autistic has impacted your relationship?
1: Well, it's funny. I have like a two-sided answer I think to that question. Um, in some ways not at all. And in other ways a lot, right? So I say not at all because I stepped into the relationship with my autism like on me on sign on top of my head, right? So it came with me. It came with me into the relationship, my knowledge of my autism. I was already an advocate. If somebody wasn't comfortable with autism, there's no way I would have gotten to the first date. So I knew we were past there. Um and how we had started to date, um, Antonio told me about his nephew, and his nephew also had happened to just very recently gotten diagnosed on the spectrum, so there was this autism connection for us, rather than it being something that separated us, it was a connection for us, Um, and so um, now that nephew is my nephew too, um, and so it's really, um, it's kind of a full circle thing for us, and and so that piece of it is like, well, you know, it just was there, right, it was kind of a, a part of our relationship from the moment we started to be together. Um, and then at the other side of it, um, it has like no effect at all because, again, I stepped into the relationship with my diagnosis and I was already well into understanding how it affected me I kind of had grown into myself a bunch. So, um, I, again, I stepped into the relationship with it. So it's not like it appeared somewhere and all of the challenges that came with it kind of all of a sudden came into our relationship. Um, I came in with them. And so a lot of it was about me explaining my needs and him learning about autism itself and, um, and all of that stuff. that That's where we saw it. But, you know, I'm me, right? So autism comes with me in any relationship that I have. Mm-hmm. It's a part of whatever relationship I'm in with anybody my dog, my neighbor, anybody. Um, and so, in that sense, it's like a two sided answer. Um, has it ever caused any um, trouble? Um, I don't really think so you know, I have. we have challenges I have challenges um, things come up but it's no different than if it happened in any other marriage um, it's about compromise and understanding and communication That happens that the things that are the squeaking wheels in our marriage may be totally different from a neurotypical marriage right um, so like a change in physical without announcement or you know um, mm-hmm. <laughs> something like that comes up a break in routine um, that's out of control and, and the, anything that was sort of naturally kick off a meltdown can add tension to the relationship. But I think that happens in any relationship. Any time a person in a relationship gets triggered, it affects their relationship with others. So um, well, I don't think it's really the opposite. I and mean, that's just the human dynamic.
0: And how did uh, Antonio propose?
1: Well, um, he proposed as authentically as I can really expect, you know, that was one of my other things, you know, we didn't talk about any of this stuff really in detail like I didn't tell him, you know how I wanted to be proposed to or what I, what I wanted rings. like I just wasn't that kind of girl, and also by the time we were together, I was in my 40s um, so, you know, it's not like I was a young 22 year old bride that needed the perfect wedding and a giant ring um, if I wanted that, I could have gotten one for myself right, so that's not what it was about for us um, and I think you know, when thinking about all of that and as he got to know me, I think he figured out that if he got down on one knee at the end of some fancy dinner in the middle of a restaurant, I would probably melt into tears and no lock myself in a bathroom, right? It would be a panic attack, a meltdown, everything at once. Um, and so I think he, he probably gave some thought to um, kind of that piece of it because neither one of us are really comfortable with that, we both really struggle with social anxiety And so it wouldn't have been comfortable for him. So, proudly, he asked me, um, he proposed in our bedroom, in bed, right before we were going to sleep. And I thought, you know, other people would probably have been um, disappointed or whatever. There wasn't a big to do about it. But for me, it was exactly what I needed. We were in our bedroom, right about to go to bed in the most kind of, if anybody was in a couple, that's sort of the most intimate time of day, you know, you're settling down for the night, it's just the two of you, there's really nothing else going on, um, and so it was, you know, you're all, no makeup on, no fancy anything, you're in your PJs, really exactly who you are, um, and he just, and he asked, and he didn't make a big scene of it, and I, of course, didn't believe him, because it's like years into my life of never, you know, being single, so I'm like, Really? I think that was my first response. Um, And then I said, yeah, and and that was really it. There wasn't a lot of pomp and circumstance. Again, that's not who we are as people. Um, And so there's no reason to kind of put that on. You know, when you put that on, it feels like you're being untrue to your relationship.
0: Like I was saying earlier, the planning of the wedding can be so stressful, so much to do. So... Um, right. In thinking about um, some of those things, um, like the venue, for example, what was your process in picking out the venue for your wedding? Right, well, so <clears throat> it was a
1: lot of that, again, that back and forth and compromise and getting to the place of, of that, right? So in the beginning, the conversation started with the New York or Colorado, right, when we started to talk about venues. Um, and we have to start looking at prices, and of course, everything in New York is, like, I mean, just outrageously priced for what you're getting, um, because that's New York, and so we, could, we knew, like, we could do financially better in Colorado, but then the family, and so we went. there was a lot of back and forth, but when we got to the place of, like, well, what do we want out of it, we both really wanted a small, intimate setting, like, someone's backyard or something, and we really wanted a really small handful of people to be there. Again, because we have we struggle with social anxiety, right? Um, and so the idea of a lot of people being there was, again, another layer of anxiety put on top of it. Um, so eventually, when we got to, to where we got to, it was like, well, let's, you know, it really didn't matter. And some of that was because we lived in the state of Colorado, which I have to say, the, the marriage <laughs> license situation in Colorado is very lenient. You can marry your cousin in Colorado. It's totally legal. Um, and you don't need to have a witness around when you sign your marriage license. So that little tidbit of information of knowing that we did not need to have a witness, that we could actually have walked into the courtroom, you know, into the, the building, and applied for our marriage license, gotten it, signed it, and handed it right back to them and been married that day if we wanted to be. Right? So when we got that piece of information, that... Bit of information really kind of impacted our choices about where and when because suddenly all that it matters it could be the two of us in a car somewhere, right? Uh, and so that was a lot of freedom with that. Um, and a lot of it opened up some of those choices for us. Um, and so that's how we kind of came down to it. And it was like, well, we just need to be us to do this, then let's just be us, hmm. you know, and that's what
0: we did. So Probably the most stressful part for me in the whole wedding planning process was the guest list. Who to invite, who not to invite. It was just such a, such a pain. So how did you go about deciding on who to invite and not to invite to your wedding?
1: Right. Well, again, I know I hate to keep repeating the same answer, but it did, it started as a process. So of course, you know, when anybody is approaching the planning of an event, you start with like one big idea and you can narrow down all of that stuff. Um, and it was, but it was a little, I think, more complicated for us. We weren't living near until you have family anymore. <clears throat> My family was mostly gone and so no one would really be there. And there was a piece for me that was like a really emotional piece about the fact that my mom is gone, and and I really wouldn't have any family there. Um, And so that made the idea of even having a lot of people there harder um, because it would just be more apparent that my side was empty. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, so now part of it was difficult and sort of compromising, but we had gotten down and we knew kind of it was obvious who that really core group of people would be. Um, But then when we finally decided, you know what, let's just be fair. Let's eat everyone equally and just invite nobody. Mm. And so we did. <laughs> um, we just, we, we let her, everybody mad at us instead of a few people and um, we took our dog and that's it. And what,
0: and how did you go about deciding what to wear on your wedding day?
1: Um, well, at that point, um, we, you know, we had kind of, by the time I was down with clothing choices, um, and Tanya and I had sort of picked out what we wanted if we were going to have that more traditional wedding um, and, you know, what I would have worn to that would have been just a very simple song dress because I can't really wear anything more than that. Um, but what I ended up wearing was much better because I didn't care about my clothes. So we ended up um, signing our, our license on a trail in, uh, down in Telluride in Colorado. Um, and we picked it because it was called the Tomboy Path that we had to go up to, and then it was Brynholdale Falls where we actually signed our license. Um, so we went on a hike, so I was we wearing hiking clothes, I was comfy, um, we had the water bottles, I had no makeup on, um, I don't even know, if I don't remember if I even showered that morning, honestly. Um, and it was perfect, I mean, it was the core of what we built our relationship on, our love for the outside, our love for our dogs, and our animals, and, and sort of just how much we enjoy just being together and in peace and quiet of nature. <laughs> um, and so it was really pretty perfect, um, and, and that's sort of, I don't know. That kind of we, we ended up having what we wanted but it wasn't it was a um, there was always a compromise along the way
0: until we got to where we wanted to be. And I, I should say um there were some beautiful pictures of of your wedding in, in the article from the Autistic Bride website. So I I encourage everyone to uh check check that out. Um in thinking yeah. in thinking back to your wedding day, what do you remember most about that day?
1: Um, I actually remember the most laughing. Um, we laugh a lot, both. Um, and whenever you're on a hike and you have your daughter with you, laughter is inevitable. Um, but, you know, we did. We took some funny pictures. We, you know, it was just us having an afternoon, and it was it encapsulated sort of why we got married in the first place, why we were together, all of that stuff. Um, but there, you know, I think it was the laughing and this silly picture taking and just really... Um, being in the moment with each other
0: was probably my favorite. And, and what advice do you have for couples specifically when at least one of the people in the relationship is autistic?
1: Well, I think um, when, I, when I think about the advice, advice for that, I always come back to this really basic concept, which sounds so dumb, but it's... Uh, You know, you want to communicate well, and you want to compromise well. And I know that that sounds like a really good couple advice, and it is really good general couple advice, and hard difficult, you can take best advice too, right? But it's really about communicating your needs between each other, like, these are my needs, and then the other person says, these are my needs, and then you want to compromise your needs into the situation best you can, that solves both person's needs without that's the ideal situation. Um, it never worked out that perfectly, but if that's the way you look into a situation with your partner, at um, least you'll come out with a solution that both of you have compromised on. It's never going to be perfect. It may be weighted in one person's favor one time, but it evens out over the course of time, so don't worry. But it's all about that communication piece, like, here's what I need, though, and here's what I need, versus here's what I want right? Because wanting is one thing, needing is another. And when you deal with neurodiverse relationships where maybe one person is neurotypical and the other is not, right? The needs are different. And that's why the communication needs to happen. Because the needs aren't going to be the same. You can't quite anticipate them, right? As you would if they had a similar brain. So it's a lot of communication and a lot of compromise.
0: Well, that definitely does not some, sound dumb at all and, and nothing you ever say sounds dumb. So, um, <laughs> thank you. I thank you, Becca, for uh, joining us today and I'm sure I'll be bugging you sometime soon to return. Please, use the best winter
1: because so they'd be happy to come back whenever. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode and thank you to Becca for the conversation. I always end any interaction with Becca feeling much more positive and excited about the future, whether it's through all the different social media platforms where she shares her wisdom or through the conversations we have had on Autism Stories. And I hope everyone gets that feeling of positivity and being excited about the future. But that can be really tough sometimes because modern life can be challenging for just about anyone. However, when you're autistic, the world isn't designed with your unique traits in mind and everyday demands can feel insurmountable. At Autism Personal Coach, we celebrate neurodiversity by empowering adults and teens to be the best version of their authentic selves. The people we serve are the real experts. We're here to help their goals become a reality. To get an Autism Coach for yourself or a loved one, you can do that by emailing Doug.Bletcher at AutismPersonalCoach.com or call or text 216 336-5889 336 and request a coach today. On the next episode of Autism Stories, Jeff Joyner will join us to talk about how roller coasters can have a profoundly positive impact on the lives of autistic people. Talk to you then.
2: you understand